houses, forests, and the city to all the power. As they do, the plane of the grass slightly separates, creating spaces between the blades of grass like a net. They do not come from the buried ground, so instead of taking a straight pull toward the forest, they weave between and through the blades, pulling through as they aren't strong enough to reach even the skin. They are doomed to fail to produce what is necessary for the ancients presiding over the glowing object under the tree of the forest. Head scan. The ancients stare at the poses and the way lines returning to the room under the tree, noticing a curious pattern, something they've seen before. The yellow ancient slowly turns their cheek toward the aware of Blue's transformation as they watch the leaves on the tree in their quadrant move slowly in the wind. The two buildings are not the same at all, but the similarities are uncanny, including some of the same plants inhabiting both buildings. The tin can lies in Blue's hand at one end, connecting it to the other. It has absorbed most of the water by now. In doing so, it spreads across the city, noodle-like. The foundation between the buildings still floats. Somehow, Blue makes their way up onto the foundation. Hanging his head over the edge, he stares out over the city, upside down. Suddenly, the city looks somewhat evacuated. During which time, a scientist works on cross-pollination, succeeding only in creating monsteras that look like carved pumpkins. Guy walks around, staring at his own thumbs as he seriously contemplates the changes in Blue's body. Not quite certain the changes make his heart stir. There's a lot he feels and thinks about it, but he's not quite certain how to put it into words, though he knows Blue wouldn't ask. He would want to express it. He sits along the river near the monument and watches the sunset contemplation begotten roses. Fair, he thinks, is blue skin, and yet I can only seem to dream of it. Somewhere deep in his gut, he knows the words, the feeling that the one he loves has somehow been stolen from him. The cephalopod floats softly above the city as its head confronts a strange flying contraption. All the citizens can sense it, but only a few seem to be able to actually see it. One piece of the rope makes a way across the lowermost bough, just barely like the sound of a pip's squeak. One pulse at a time that courses across the city dry like the first steps Blue had into the grasslands when she first stepped through the skin out of the forest. It began to rain. As the cephalopod and the flying contraption come close enough to the tail of a cat in its dripping, 
both blue and guy lose all sight of each other as if six silver notes pass along each of their lips, as if sitting next to each other with their heads turned away or even down upon each other, they both contemplate their bodies reposing to each other as their hearts beat. Somehow, it makes them both feel a little repulsed by their own bodies, as if their hearts missing each other made them feel a little disappointed in their own breathing. Listeners, this is not the moment you've been waiting for, hoping for. This is the moment where Guy and Blue fall out of each other's arms. Suddenly, and without reason, they both realize that when they had seen each other, that was nothing unfurling of the dream weaver in the forest, its legs like a towel drug across the roots of the tree. Red drags her tongue across the skin. Spotlights project in a city, two each as two become, their own words, their own to hold. Blue still hanging their head over the edge of the foundation begins to change their body somehow the memories and the roots have begun to invade Blue's mind suddenly as her breasts form again she notices the image of a towel the image of a car sits upon the skin as waves break upon a shoreline with a figure standing as the wave breaks around it. The town outside the city is full of people, eyes wide open as if in terror of all they cannot see. What lies in front of them is so indeterminate that their hands turn to stone there is blood, and in the blood they read the separation between Blue and Guy. It's an A-line. Skirt. You know. As Blue's body fills in all of its female form, releasing any notion of maleness which could be conceived, she breathes out. Held so long, it is her hair that unfurls as the Dreamweaver turns toward Ash. The sloth reaches down toward the water, its claw just a bit away in the surface, a chain washed up along the shore. Species of adult birds are identified by the cause of their young. It is rumored that it is because the sound of the adult call is so hideous and loud that the cry of a fledgling must be utilized in order to keep order and peace. Please be advised that it is not advised for adult birds to hide behind their young. Of course, birds cannot hear this message as it is not in their language. All citizens are required to look up any bird they see in the field guide. It is not recommended that any bird be identified by any call other than their own. However, we are aware that a bird singing in a tree is difficult to see between the limbs. Whatever you do, please refrain from turning head backwards to see a... 
somehow Guy, looking over the water, can feel the change in blue. Strangely, though he can feel the familiarity in her body, it's as if he can't see her name in it. Suddenly, his own body responds to the curiosity of that which he does not know of her. It's as if all of a sudden, he wants only to hear it from her own lips. Blue lets her weight fall fully into her own arms, feeling fully into her first breaths in so long. In doing so, her legs begin to separate from the foundation. As her feet float over her head, she turns as her body floats down toward the city, making its way through the flying contraption. By doing so, her hair touching the ground first, she lets her breath land her body on a solar panel road. Meanwhile, someone stands upon the foundation, an object in their hand. They slowly try to chip away at the concrete. Not a dent can be found. Slowly, at each of the four corners of the foundation, a pair of words appear. They appear to be all sets opposites. Yet, somehow, it is that in their opposing placement that something else is formed. Somehow, Blue manages to stand up almost immediately, as if barely having felt the fall. Their barefoot stance on a cobblestone road, at first moving just a toe, then her heel, she slowly walks toward the wartime switchboard. Guy, knowing exactly where she was going, had decisions of his own to make. They'd promised each other they'd never go near each other around the wartime switchboard again. There, they spoke to each other quietly about the pieces of rope they had both seen lying around. Strewn through the city like bits of wool flop from the foot and torso of the cyclops, they would show up in different parts of their stories. As they spoke, the wartime switchboard would light up when their words would begin to connect the scene together as if the rope itself were filling in the city by the drips of water from its soaked blue kindling. In their recounting, they were able to piece together what each of them had been missing without the other. Their lips almost pressed together, they stared deep into each other's eyes. It was but moments before the river swell overtook the bridge, leaving debris and locked vines behind. One by one, they removed all trace of their bodies. Feel free to do anything to love me, even if it causes them pain, even if it leaves you. I will felt upon your skin and never leave you wandering, for you are here to happen and I am here to be you. Grasslines Without Time is written and produced by Kate Madera, with artwork by Rachel Amberlongo, and music by Human Nature. Have a Sir Richard Day time.